All right, everybody, welcome back. We are on episode five with good friend, local San Diegan, Jeff Fenster, the founder of Everbowl. Um, we're excited. We have a lot to talk about. I personally have a lot to, uh, to bring on into the conversation here. Um, Jeff is a hard man to get in front of. He is constantly on the go. If you follow him on social or digital, digital or Everbowl anywhere, um, the guy bounces around a lot. So we are excited to have him here in the studio. First and foremost, thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here with you guys. Def you, definitely. As with every episode, and we already prepped him on In the Weeds, we like to talk a lot about um, Jeff before Everbowl, before this business that's exploded, before the, I just found out, 500 employees, before all the madness that's been going on in his life. And I, I have a starting point because I feel like it could be uh, maybe your first mistake along the way, but he was a U of A grad. <laughs> <laughs> Something led him, and I want to find out, led him to the, the town of Tucson. Now, me, I'm, a, I'm a, a devout Arizona State alumni, so let's start there. Let's take it from college and, uh, and kind of get the ball rolling. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So why I went to U of A? Yeah, because you're a San Diegan, right? I am. Like and born and raised? Born and raised. Uh, never wanted to leave. I actually wanted to go to UCSD. Okay. And um, that was my second choice. Actually, UCS Santa Barbara was my top choice. Mm -hmm. um, had no interest in the entire state of Arizona at the time. Didn't even have, look at it on the map. You do. Yeah, it wasn't even in my <laughs> it wasn't even in my mind. Um, but I needed to apply to a bunch of schools, so I applied everything around San Diego. Um, and I, I remember going and visiting it with my dad. And the day we went happened to be the uh, that was when Hugh Hefner was dating the twins from University of Arizona, and there was a Playboy convention at the University of Arizona the day we got there. And I looked at my dad and I'm like, I'm going here. That was it. I wish I had a better reason, but that was truly why I went to U of A. It was just like, I, I saw so many people out there. Obviously the playmates to a 17 year old kid was uh, yeah. exciting, but it's just everybody was in the quad. It just seemed like a healthy, fun place and close enough to San Diego. And I didn't get into UC Santa Barbara. So where I went. I feel like that's an acceptable answer. Yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'll take that. I'm good with it. <laughs> what uh, What'd you go to college for? Um, originally, I, I bounced around, so I had a originally I had a business de uh, business degree was what I was going for, but um, got into an accounting class and I couldn't make the two sides meet, and it was like you know what, this isn't for me. So I actually majored in regional development and minored in pre-law. What does that mean? Yeah, it's basically SimCity, but like Sim the real City. life. So it's like zoning and like why you build commercial buildings where you build them and why residentials are where they are and, you know, getting into like planning, city planning, and I couldn't do that. That's more probably than. the best explanation <laughs> yes. you could have given. SimCity. Sim said, I was like, oh, okay, I get yeah, it. Yeah, like I get it. the colors, you know, and <laughs> we used to basically play that video game, but in, yeah. in like class. SimCity and Playmates. That's yeah. awesome. That's college. So where, so we're in San Diego. Where was, uh, where'd you grow up? Like what was, uh, was it before college? Uh, Scripture Ranch. Oh, okay. So, so super yeah. local. Super local Scripture Ranch High School. Mm -hmm. uh, go Wildcats. And uh, Falcons is Scripture Ranch. Sorry, Wildcats was U of A. See, I got, I got I know, man. too much. I know, um, I know. Yeah, no, San Diego Scripture Ranch for uh, high school and family's been here, been here born and raised. Love the city. Nice, man. And you went, you went, uh, you did U of A and then you actually went to law school, right? Correct. Out yeah. there or was it here? No, my first year was in um, Miami mm -hmm. at uh, St. Thomas Law School. And then I transferred to finish my last two years here at Thomas Jefferson. Oh, wow. Was there, so with doing regional development, was there 
what kind of pivoted you over into law? So I never had a plan with regional development. I just had to change my major because I couldn't sit through another business class. And that seemed to be a fast ticket to get through college. I, college was a means to an end to me. So I actually graduated in three years at 21. And so um, I was done and it was like, hey, I want to, I need to get into the real world and start doing my thing. And I wanted to go to law school to be a sports agent. So my men, one of my mentors is a guy named Dave Meltzer and um, learned a lot from him over the years. And he was working at Lee Steinberg Sports Agency. And I had a nice in into that market and I've always loved sports and that was kind of my biggest passion. So kind of wanted to continue that dream. And since totally. I couldn't play professionally, it was kind of like, well, let me represent and, and do that. And so went to law school or applied to law school to be a sports agent. Okay. Um, I didn't know if I was going to get in because law school is mostly like 25 year olds and older who have been doing something for a few years after college or at least more mature than a 21 year old. <laughs> and I remember when I applied, like I didn't think I was going to get in. So I also actually enlisted in the United States Marine Corps at the same time. And I, when I enlisted, I said, if I get into law school, I'm going to law school. And if I don't, I'll do this because I didn't know what I was going to do. I was kind of like, well, I'm 21 no with way. a degree and I have no interest in any business that I had studied or learned about and wasn't sure what was next. So I was like, well, I'm going to do something. And mm -hmm. so I was like, well, I'm going to either go to law school or join the Marines. I, I don't know many 21 year olds that start looking for a variety of options and figure out that they have to do something. Everybody kind of just goes with the flow and they'll figure it out later. That's that's very impressive. I mean, um, you said you also mentioned you were um, you played baseball? I did yeah. in high school um, and after recently as an adult, but not in college. Oh, okay. I boxed at the University of Arizona. Oh, nice. So you, what happened with the, you said you, you applied over to the Marines? I did. I enlisted. I had an enlistment date and basically was set to go unless I got into law school because I only realized I was graduating early in February oh, okay. of that year. Huh. And it was like, wait, because... <laughs> In high school, I took these couple courses that basically let me go work at uh, mailboxes, etc., but get college credit. And <laughs> somehow I accumulated. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> How do we not know about this? Yeah. So, so my <laughs> senior <codes>. year. <laughs> Listen in. Cheat codes. <laughs> <laughs> my my senior year in, in high school, there was a course, and it was like, I don't it, I don't remember the name, but it was like business something, and you basically got a job doing something business oriented, and they gave you credit, but you could also get um, elect like your GE credits for junior college for the same at the same time well I did that the whole year and I had two courses of it so I had all of these things so with like two extra uh, classes in the summer or, or at night I was going to basically make up an entire year of school because I had taken care of all of it through this glitch that that's I huge uncovered. <laughs> that have they fixed the glitch I don't know <laughs> once you once you go through it you don't look back yeah. like, hey, I don't care what happens that's funny that's yeah. funny so Marines or law school those are two major yeah. different paths you could be a different man right now yes had that not happened absolutely because that was 2004 so it was like not the best time to do that and I don't have some I was not like a warrior guy who wanted to go to war or anything I just was like, I didn't know what to do. And I was like, well, I can't see myself working a job because I have totally like, the worst case of entrepreneurial ADD. <laughs> and so I was like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. And if I don't get into law school, then I'll go join the Marines and maybe they can get me into law school and it'll look good. You know, so how do you think if, if you would have if it would have gone the Marines route, 
do you think there would have been a way you're you still would have met the same path that you're on right now no way really no i mean i'd be doing something yeah yeah you know and i think where we are with like everbowl yes but like the i don't there was another moment it was right after law school that defined my entrepreneurial journey so we're definitely going to get into that yeah that I, that would be where i think the the true hard turn happened totally and and i i feel like a question i get asked all the time and I want to ask you, because just hearing off of your college experience, do you feel like the stuff you learned in the business classes or the class you took in college in general, does it translate or do you do you find it anything that applies? No. Yeah. I mean, I, I think people who go to school and, or think of school as that's how you learn how to do what you're going to do mm -hmm. is just, that's just not reality. I can tell you on a book how to throw a baseball and how to swing a baseball bat, but until you actually do it, it doesn't matter what you've read. So. It just teaches you how to think. It teaches you how to understand what you're about to get into. I mean, like I learned in law school analytical thinking and how to approach problems that there's not necessarily one right answer. And the right answer is not as important as the means you take to get the answer. And that's what you learn in law school. And then how to like think through scenarios. Mm -hmm. But to learn to be a lawyer, you'd have to actually go and do that or, you know, to learn to do anything in school, you know, to be an accountant and all yeah, that. Yeah. So it's kind of the same question is in law school, do you feel like there was Appliable stuff to what you're doing because I feel like law school can translate to business. I think anybody who owns a business is probably having any sort of law background, even minimal, is super helpful. For sure, because it teaches you how to think. It, it, it solves the biggest challenge that I think entrepreneurs or business owners or executives and companies run into, which is there's a wall in front of them and now they don't know what to do. And in the as a going through law school, they by definition or keep putting walls up there because you have the law and you have to figure out how to take this sentence and apply it to this set of circumstances and there's not a natural answer it's not two plus two is four it's well debbie did this last night at the bar is she in trouble in criminal law and these are the laws and well she's not because of or she is because of and you're trying to just take all these random facts and apply it to some specific thing and so it forces you to kind of think abstractly and be solution oriented mm. and approach problems differently, yeah, yeah. you know? So I think a lot of people approach school like, well, I didn't go to school for this. I can't do this. And I think experience is the most overrated um, attribute required to start a business. Totally. And before we stray too, too far away from, from U of A, uh, <laughs> I don't want to let that one slide. Uh, none, no part of you wanted to stick around after you graduated? In Tucson? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I did, did I did, but um, I got into law school in, in Miami. Okay. I was 21 going to South Beach. So <laughs> it was time to go. All the right answers. Yeah. <laughs> All the it right was, answers. It was time to go. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so how did, so I know when we talked before this, uh, the path was sports agent. Yes. But there was a pivot along the way. Yeah. So while I was in law school, I transferred back to San Diego after my first year because uh, I didn't get into San Diego law schools uh, initially. So I did really well in, in my first year, transferred and uh, met my fiance and um, we have a little daughter uh, and I met her when she was an infant so uh, my oldest daughter I met when she was an infant and so I was in my third year of law school and I had my fiance and this little daughter I'm trying to raise and I realized that taking care of grown-ups for the rest of my life you know and basically being what a sports agent is um, wasn't the path I ultimately wanted to do mm. it sounded it, it's one of those things the car looks really cool until you own it um, <laughs> You know, and yeah, I, didn't, totally. I didn't want to own it. So I uh, decided that wasn't for me. Hmm. And so I was basically still in the same position <laughs> I was after undergrad, 
now after law school, which is I don't know what the hell I'm going to do with myself. And how old were you when you, when you, you, you know, came to this decision? 24. Oh. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these things that you're telling us, it's like very mature decisions you're making for your age at that point. Like, does that come, you know, from parents, your parents, you know, you, the way you were raised? What does that all come from? I mean, that's a good question. I, I don't know. Um, I have very, I have zero patience. I never have in my entire <laughs> life. So it's like if I'm like I want this, I just want this. I don't I don't want to have to do the whole path to get there. And so, and it was just kind of like I just realized that I don't I know what I don't want to do, and I run in the other direction. Mm. And so I didn't want to do the things that most I guess young kids like I don't want I don't I don't like not having money. Mm. Right. Like I, I don't like it. <laughs> and I don't like not, I don't like not having freedom to do what I want to do, and I don't like being told I have to do something a specific way, which made probably me as a kid the worst thing ever for my parents. But um, and they'll they'll freely tell you that. Um, <laughs> but not knowing what you don't want makes going this direction and going there quickly kind of that. Now you mentioned Dave Meltzer. Was there anybody else in your life that kind of you went to for guidance during these times as well? Uh, I mean, Dave was my biggest mentor. I interned with him a lot in high school and growing up. And um, I think being around him, who's another serial entrepreneur who has been extremely successful and, and rebuilt his life so many times, um, I think being around that really shaped my, my sales ability. And, and I learned a whole lot of like solution selling skills and going through and getting to intern at his companies and do all these things was really powerful to build me up and like as like what my skill set was, mm -hmm. while a lot of my friends probably weren't doing that thing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I always had a job in high school, but I always had an internship too. My mom kind of stressed that on me and Dave kind of took me under his wing because our parents were family friends when I was really little. So we've known each other forever. So I was this young, young kid and he used to let me come and be exposed to like all of his companies and what he was working on. And he's 10 or 11 years older than me. So it was really getting to see my, it's kind of way I got to see where my future self could be if I do oh, some yeah. of these things. And I like to be the dumbest guy in the room and it was great because I was surrounding myself with so many great people and mm -hmm. I got to build up relationships and, and relationship capital that I could then use later in life. Mm -hmm. And through that and through giving to all of them, I was able to like take some, some quick jump steps that maybe I wouldn't have been able to. So I think I was just exposed to the grown up world young and so that probably matured my thinking. And how old were you when you first started working on your first job? 14. 14. Yeah. yeah, 14 with Dave mm -hmm. at Global Web Video, and then 15 at Pazzo's Pizza. I see. That. I, I tend to see a lot of those great qualities that, that you know that you have in those people that start working at a very early age, as opposed to people you know wait till they're out of high school to get their first job, you know, or wait till they're a senior in high school. So th that's mm -hmm. awesome, man. Well, I, I think it, I think it goes to my parents always said, you know, you you can want that, but I'm not buying it for you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's like, how do I get that? Earn your own money. Totally. I was like, oh. Is he still, do you still, is he a mentor Absolutely. right now? Yep. Uh, That's really Always cool. have been. When we, we def I went to law school because of him. I mean, that was, he was like, go to law school, come work with me. You have this opportunity. It's great. You're, you're already good in sales. So go do that. Mm -hmm. And so that was one of the reasons I went to law school and applied. I was like, all right, I'll apply. And it's kind of like, I don't plan forever. I just plan what I want to do right now and get mm -hmm. there, you know? That's um, smart. So it was just, it's just kind of what. I guess I spent more time learning than earning early mm -hmm. and using that and, and understanding that I, I watched how these individuals that I'm around are able to build 
massive careers and massive opportunity mm -hmm. simply based on these small few principles that are so overlooked, which is just start making friends with more people, mm -hmm. right? Because if you know the right person, then and they care about you and they're invested in your future for whatever reason, they're going to open doors for you that mm -hmm. it's going to take someone else starting at the bottom and grinding through the path. But obviously, you know, oh, well, you always hear, but well, that kid's the friend of the owner's son, and that's why he is sitting where he is. Well, okay. Yeah. But he's sitting there. He's got to perform, but the opportunity's there. So we all have to find ways, and I didn't have a lot of that, so I wanted to, to learn, and I saw how a guy like Dave was able to, to go from, he went to law school, he was uh, selling you know, legal services, and then jumped around to different companies he started or was joined as an as a employee or, or whatever he did throughout his path, and I saw how he was able to successfully navigate those waters because he consistently built up this team and the team of people that he's invested in and given back to and helped in his when any way he can. I mean, in, in exchange, they help him. And so it's like this, this act of giving just built this dream team mm -hmm. that is now building his opportunities to, to, to catch. And so just I'm observant when I'm around people, yeah. you know, and I have yeah, my you, eyes open. You use a really interesting term, relationship capital. How much do you how much do you think relationship capital plays into because there's financial capital, but relationship capital, how much do you think that's played into your success? A ton. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I'm it takes a village that saying for raising a kid. But I think it's anyone who self-made good for them. I, I'm definitely not. You know, it's definitely a, a I put in the effort and I do the things I'm, I need to do. But it's because I have such an incredible team of people that care about my future and care mm -hmm. about me and for them I guess as a result of that is a lot of the, my successes I mean totally throughout you know starting with your, my parents I mean they, they were they were that for me young and forced me it was like I don't care what you do you're getting good grades I, that's they forced me to get mm -hmm. good grades and they didn't let me not do that when I probably wouldn't have you mm -hmm. know if they would have let me stray off but them forcing it on me kept me gave me options, you know, continued to give me options and forcing me to get an internship with our family friends very first time and me falling in love with that experience, that forcing me to do that when everyone else, they were like, yeah, you can get a job that pays you money, but you're going to get a job where you work for free and learn mm -hmm. something. And I'm like, okay. Wisest words. Yes. Wisest words. That's huge, especially young. Yes. I feel like that's, that's a lost art right now too. I it's, agree. I mean, it's probably something you're passing down to, <laughs> to your kid, too. I mean, I'm trying. My oldest is 13 now. She's going into high school. So, like, now I'm really trying to totally. set her up to, you know, to, to really approach life from, from the right perspective. And whatever she chooses, she chooses. You know, but set, always have options. Like, mm -hmm. don't close doors. Mm -hmm. There's no reason. Mm -hmm. You know, and there's no reason to hate someone. You know, mm -hmm. make up. Like, yeah. forgiveness. It, it's not the end of the world. And just go with it because... Life is, life happens and things change so fast. And all of a sudden it's like, you didn't think you wanted to ever do that. But if you close that door, you don't have the option to ever come back. Mm -hmm. And more options creates more opportunity and you find something that you love and something that makes you excited and hopefully successful in whatever that means to you. Totally. Do you, do you think because now she's a perfect example, um, starting to get introduced, I'm sure, to like social media and technology and all the advances there, do you think it's harder for for her generation or that generation in general to really understand relationship capital. Cause I feel like I have, I have a niece who's the same age and every time I go back, I feel like they've lost the, um, power behind just face to face, like personal communication, whether it's, whether it's in friendships, relationships, or like in business, 
I feel like that's still a fundamental quality you have to have. Do you see it like it's starting to slip in their generation? 100%. Because everything like, I mean, it's good because they have such connectivity, meaning they can DM someone, text them, like there's so much digital connectivity we never had. But I feel like it's, it's, it's overshadowed, like just saying hello <laughs> no. to someone don't you think for sure and and I'm, I'm constantly and I try to be I balance when I, I go back to Arizona because that's my family is being the cool uncle who comes in and like embraces oh you YouTube this and that like <laughs> love love that and like there's so much further ahead than I ever was with technology because if I had a, a bike and a basketball I was fine um, but I'm also like trying to be that uncle like hey you know let's let's go outside and maybe go to the park let's go outside and you know like what's your friend doing because everything is done i'm starting to see even at their age digitally i'm like no you can't lose that face-to-face personal relationship in your life so i don't know like if that's a the relationship capital is starting to 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 lose its weight i mean I, i think it is and but at the same time i think as these this generation comes up it's losing it for like, it, it's this weird transition because our generation, we didn't grow up. I didn't have a cell phone until I was in a senior in high school. It was like my first cell phone and there was no smartphone. It was the flip with the buttons, you know? No there was te- no computer in that thing. No text for a while either. Like, yeah. It was a big deal to finally pay, get text you on your pay phone. Per text? Yeah. I, did, I, I borrowed a buddy's phone for a while just to send a text. <laughs> I swear. Yeah. Um, you know, and now it's like the same thing. It's like, well, I'm like, hey, why don't you call your friends? Or right, just DM Instagram. It's all done through social. It's just, it is, it's so less personal. And mm-hmm. I didn't really have social media personally until recently, mm-hmm. uh, just because the concept seems yeah. so weird to me, which is, you know, I used to say to my, when it first started, I used to never have it. And my, my daughter be like, why don't you get it? I'm like, because the friends of mine who know about my life, they know about my life because they're friends of mine, mm-hmm. yeah. right? And I didn't understand the power of it early on. Like, I didn't realize that, wait a second, there's more, way more to it than just, making this thing about friends. Like at first it just seemed like it was totally just a way to interact with my friends who I'm Mm -hmm. already interacting with. But then realizing, no, 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 how you can actually use it to expand that relationship capital in such a powerful way by making sure that you're conscious of so many people now you can reach out to and expose yourself to and connect with people that are like-minded and are trying to do something similar, whether it's, you know, business or personal or spiritual or whatever. Totally. And find a new group just hoping that like, I mean, we met on social and now we're sitting together. Mm -hmm. And as long as it expands to the personal, I think it's great. Totally. I agree. And I think I don't want to like totally rob the that generation of of taking advantage of social, of digital. Like they they should have that IQ and build it constantly because realistically, when she goes into the work world, that's going to be like a requirement. It's not going to be, you know, your, your resume only holds so much weight anymore. Like that is such a requirement to almost any industry you get in. But it's got to be as a parent hard, like finding that common ground or that balance. Like, hey, you can only have so much time here and you got to spend time over here. And I'm not a parent, so I, I can't relate, which I mean, has got to be a challenge. They, they take our cues from us. I, I think like even us as adults, we we fall into the same traps that they do. So it, it's kind of on us to set the president. I, I a lot of the times I find myself looking at my phone at dinner and I have to chuck it into the living room. And be like, mm-hmm. no, 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 this is their time. This is our time right here. And that lets him know this is this is our time as well. So I guess it's kind of on us, you know. I mean, you know. Yeah, I agree. Because you probably sure. get the, the the next time you're at dinner, and then he pulls it out and he says, "Oh no, but yeah. Dad, even yeah. even you were." I've told you before. Even at five years old, he calls me out when I'm doing something. You know, I'll give him 
I'll give him shit because he goes to school and like he comes back with ripped jeans. And then I'll be like, what are you doing? He's like, well, you have holes in your jeans. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, shit, he's right. God damn it. All right. I'll just walk away. <laughs> yeah. But, but I mean, they, they take our cues from us. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure you have to deal with that a lot, especially at that age. Yeah. Um, but on the flip side, do you, do you also find yourself leaning on her to help you and teach you with the social media stuff? It's unbelievable. And even, <laughs> even my youngest, like she's seven. But when she was five, if I didn't know how to do something with my phone, she'd be like, here. And I'm just like, how did, this is a brand new app. How did you do well, that? Well, you, you're in an interesting situation, too, because probably a, a big part of your demo or customer are her age. Like and teenagers love, love your product and Everbowl. So it's probably uh, smart of you to know like, hey, what's trending? What do you guys like? Knowing where their heads are at, which has got to be great putting yourself inside of a 13-year-old's head. <laughs> but it benefits because I'm, I'm sure there's a, a lot of scenarios where the kid drags the parent to a place because they want to go there. I, I'm, I, it's, a, it's a battle and I just had my nieces out here. Um, but I don't know if this is a in general thing. Um, they're getting into coffee, which for me I can't understand. And 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 it was the same thing being the cool uncle and I. And, and they were out here a couple couple weeks ago, and my my 14 year old niece brought her 16 year old friend out. And the four days they were here, every morning they left to go walk to the coffee shop here downtown. And I look, I thought it was just a one time thing. And I look, I'm like, guys, you're 14. Why are you drinking coffee? But as a parent now, when they're back home, or they drag them to like, mom, I want to go here. So it's got to be the same thing. Like, hey, I want to go get Everbowl, whether it's coffee or acai or all that. So yes, you got to like, you got to kind of learn where their heads are at, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and that's a lot of what we're doing. Uh, most of our employees are teenage, uh, 16 to 21, 22 uh, is the majority of our staff. And understanding and what we're trying to do is bring back that personal element. So we have two rules at Everbowl, and there's only two rules to work at an Everbowl. It's make friends and have fun. If you can do those two things, you can work with us. If you can't, we'll teach you how to make food. We'll teach you how to count you know, cash and do restaurant operations. But it's simply make friends and have fun. Make friends with every single person that walks through that door and have fun at work. And if you can do those, we want to hire you. And mm-hmm. we're trying to bring back that personal side to it where it's not just like stoic. When you walk in, what would you like? Totally. Bowl. Next. Like that whole... That's what so much quick serve food has turned into, where it's so it's it's almost better to have a digital screen and let me just push the buttons. Mm-hmm. We're really trying to bring back that mm-hmm. human element, and it's cool because so many of our young employees, it's their first job, and when they start, they barely can look you in the eye, you know. <laughs> and but when they're been with us six months, by the end, they're greeting every single person who walks through that door, making eye contact, mm-hmm. and so I'm hoping, you know, that this experience is going to propel them forward on that side, because so many young teenagers are so scared to like get away from this and totally do this. I feel like just making that statements underestimated because I know there's a ton of time that goes into doing that though. Like you could say that, like make friends, but like actually making sure and, and you don't just, you're not just a one store location where you have all eyes, like everybody's following that. That's a really hard task or initiative because you have to have a lot of leadership and a lot of people beyond just you who are actually enforcing that and actually say, yeah, that's there to standard. Cause it's a subjective term. Like, are they making friends, whatnot? And I know there's a ton of, of time and hours that go into just uh, making sure of that for sure. And, uh, Brian Augustine, he, he's our chief development officer. Uh, he started with me pretty much almost like a week before we opened our second store. And he kind of came from Trader Joe's. He, he opened up four locations in the Pacific Northwest and one in uh, Louisiana and really understood culture and developing these, you know, because he started young in Trader Joe's and worked with them forever. And um, he's done an incredible job because 
my gift is not what his patience level is so much better than mine and his ability to do that and to break through and to be consistent with these kids and, and develop them into rock stars and we have so many un incredible young uh, staff members that when you see them you're like they're gonna they're gonna kick the world's ass mm -hmm. you know and mm -hmm. he's able to pull that out of them and break them out of their shell and it's incredible to watch mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's it's powerful and it, it does take a ton of work um, we mess up all the time and you know there's Yelp that will tell us when we mess up oh, and love, <laughs> Yelp. love Yelpers yeah for sure it's funny you get these Yelps and it's like one star review. I used to love this place. I used to go four times a week. Never got a five star review for any of those times. But <laughs> Debbie didn't greet me when I walked in. One star and I'm never going back. And you're like, okay, I appreciate the feedback because we're going to get better and criticize us and tell us when we're making a mistake. If I have mustard on my face, tell me. Mm -hmm. You know, don't let me keep walking around with it. So I love the feedback, but where's the support when things were good? Mm -hmm, totally. You know? So it's. It's good to the power of one, bad to the power of ten. But that's the foundation of Yelp right that's now. That's the foundation it, of Yelp. Unfortunately, and you're in restaurants, so you know, like, unfortunately, you have to play the game, too. Of course. You have to play the game. So I'm sure, whatever her name was, you had to reach out and make men's. Absolutely. You know? And I'm, and I'm sure you won her back, because that's, that's half the battle, too, is winning them back. And next time you come in, all, all four of us will greet you um, twice, <laughs> just, <laughs> just so you're happy. But... I, I swear to this day, and I tell everybody, I'm like, everybody should work at some point in their life in, in restaurant service. Um, because I go back and that was like, that was my job through college was bartending, serving tables and all that because you are forced to talk to strangers, serve strangers, make sure they're happy over and over and over. And it, there's the demographics all over the place, their moods, their attitudes, their days. Um, but I swear by it because I look I'm like when you walk out of that, now your personal communication skills are so much better because you've had that experience. And it's probably the same with you. For sure. For, Absolutely. For those kids and they're young, 16 to 22, that's the perfect age to actually get those, those tools um, in your system. And, and, the, and it's a way to mask what, or not mask, but disguise the learnings that they're going to need later. Because when you work in any environment, you deal with people who are particular about certain things that you're not particular about. And you're like, mm -hmm. What's, this person's a dick. Mm -hmm. But they're not. They're just that's just who they are, right? So it's like they're sticklers here, and they have to deal with, you know, adversity. And their coworker doesn't show up, and so they're shorthanded, and they're rushed. And but they still have to, you know, honor the customer and, totally. and deliver the product and and handle the operation. So I think it's a it's a good microcosm for whatever they go into. Totally, I agree. Um, so before getting because we're getting into Everbowl, I have a really interesting story that that you and I shared, and I don't know if you remember it. But you were in payroll for a little while. I was. So um, how first did you get, did you transition to payroll, which is an interesting industry? And I definitely want to want to dive into the story of how you trans transitioned out of the company you're working for. So what got you into that in, in the first place? So when I graduated law school, um, I didn't want to be a lawyer and I didn't know what I was going to do. And a family friend was working at ADP, the payroll company, mm -hmm. and said, well, come get a job and you can figure out what you want to do. So I applied and they had to bring me in for a special interview because most people who get this job have an undergraduate degree. They don't get a lot of law degree, mm -hmm. just graduated law school and now applying to be a sales rep at ADP. So they wanted to understand like what I was doing. Um, and they were like, well, you're gonna get $38,000 salary plus commission. And I was like, well, I have a fiance, a daughter, law school debt, and you're gonna pay me basically three grand a month before tax. Um, I know I need to make more money. And they were like, well, sorry, this is where it starts. 
So I, I took the job and plus commission. Mm -hmm. and that's how I got into it. I just said, you know what? I don't know anything about payroll, but I'll sell it. Let's go. We'll figure it out. Now you had a real badass moment though in it. <laughs> and I feel like it already plays into what you were, what you were saying, how you, you realized earlier you didn't really want to be, I think I'm going to quote you wrong, told what to do or, yeah, yeah. um, so you hit a point cause I know you were crushing commissions and there's like a, a president's club, like a really prestigious, um, sales recognition that you got in like the, the earliest or the youngest. Um, yeah. So you hit a point with them that there was like a commission owed or some sort of, I, I don't want to butcher it. So I'm gonna let you tell it because I was so impressed and I'm, I'm jotting it down and I'm, and I'm wowed by it, but it was eventually what, what made you transition out and, and transition in a really badass way. So what, what was that? I, I don't want to, like I said, I want it to come direct from the mouth. Yeah. So, uh, they have a fiscal year at, at ADP, which was basically July to June. And so I got on quote in November, um, was able, you know, I got hired going through training was on quota in November by January. I had made president's club and was the top sales rep in the country. And president's club was like for like the top 3% or something. And ADP is massive. It's yeah, like 2,500 reps probably yeah. nationwide and mm -hmm. they're international. I mean, crazy stats, but the company is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Um, so I sold a lot of payroll and <laughs> was able to make friends and, and utilize relationships and, and what I've done through all the people I'd met with interning just to tie it all back to that, you know, through Dave, et cetera, I had met so many business owners working at all of his companies and been exposed to so many people that were in a position to help me. Sure. And I reached back out to him and said, Hey, I'm selling payroll for ADP. Can I get a meeting? And I'd come in and do my sales pitch and close a lot of business. And it was great. And so I was crushing it. I was making six figures now and, uh, been in this company for under six months. And, um, it was great. I was making a boatload of money, had a big ego. I was like, Oh, this is the life. You know, <laughs> how old are you at this point? I was 24. 24? Yeah, I just graduated law school and, and was loving it. You know, I would golf two days a week and sell the rest, and <laughs> it was fantastic. Um, and so I was like, I can do this. This is awesome. And they owed me $17,000. When I had negotiated and I asked for more than 38, they said, we'll give you a $17,000 bonus if you sell a certain amount. Well, I had sold that my first month. So once I had made President's Club, once I had made President's Club, I was like, okay, can I have my $17,000? And she's like, yeah but not till July. And this was January. And I was like, well, I'm not waiting six months for my, my, my base pay bonus. I mean, I, you asked me to do this and she's like, yeah, but it was an annual goal and you have to wait for the end of the fiscal year. And I was like, I'm not waiting to get my bonus. You told me to sell, I sold, give me my money. So it was kind of that back and forth. And, um, I threatened to, they were like, I was like, fine, I'm not going to sell. I'll see you in July. I'll just go home then and do something else till July. And they're like, you can't do that. You got to sell. So it was like back and forth. But ultimately, I threatened to quit if they wouldn't give me my bonus, thinking they weren't going to let me walk out the door. And she was like, well, we're not going to give it to you. And they kind of called my bluff. And so I quit the next day and uh, started my own payroll company out of my mom's kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> and that was when I realized I wasn't meant to work in big corporate America. You know, I, I needed to just go pave my own, own way. So I started my own company the next day and uh, actually with a buddy of mine. Um, and that it, was it. When, he, when I first heard that, it was so hard for me not to ask more questions. I'm like, oh my God, I got to hear more about that. I'm like, nope, save it for here because that's insane. That's insane. So you started with your buddy and then I guess take it from there, like w w how that progressed. So I had a, I actually bought a house while I was at ADP because I was making all this money and thought I was going to work well. Before I quit, the truth that I left out was the night before I quit. I went to my fiance and said, I want to quit, not make all this money and start my own company. 
And to do that, we have to get out of this house and you, me, and Olivia have to move in with my mom and dad. <laughs> and she supported me. So I was able to do that. So that was the first step. So I literally, we left our house and moved in with mom and dad. And that's why it's out of my mom's kitchen. And so um, we started iChecks, uh, which the idea was we could sell payroll. We'll figure out how to actually process payroll tomorrow. But today we're going to sell payroll mm-hmm. and, and go beat up ADP. Totally. I mean, they didn't make you sign a non-compete or anything like that? So luckily, they would like you to. Um, but I had, a, <laughs> I, I had a law background, and non-competes aren't legal in California under the circumstances that I was, uh, which as an employee, you can't be bound mm-hmm. to a non-compete unless you're an owner or it's very specific type uh, of a business. So just being a sales rep, they, they, threat, they, you know, they obviously put it there expecting most people to not realize or learn. But When you were hired. When, yeah, when you're when hired, you're hired yeah. yeah. Uh, but I, you can sign it all you want. It's it's not legal. It's not a binding contract, so they can't they can't hold you to that. So so when you started iChecks, how much time did you have, or how much experience did you have in payroll? Under six uh, six months. It was uh, <laughs> it was March of twenty of the the year. So it was just before I turned twenty five. So I, I was at ADP just over six months. So before 25, he pretty much had a, a history or resume of most like 40 to 45 <laughs> year olds, law school, career, starting a business. That's interesting. Man. Yeah. And it was it was weird because I remember we were sitting there. We're like, all right, what do we do now? Like mm-hmm. that made the decision. But now what? And it was there was this was early, early in the Internet days. Like there was Google, maybe I think Google had just started. So it wasn't like you could just mm-hmm. like go on these forums and quickly learn like, oh, million people have done this, you know, and entrepreneur courses and all, there was none of that. You probably had to do extra relationship capital recruitment. Absolutely. I imagine everything was probably hands done by with your hands. Correct. And luckily I just sold a boatload of payroll. So I called up every single one of them and said, I will beat that price by a lot. <laughs> let, let, let's just get the business. So we got a nice little jump start. Yeah, you know? totally. And then it was just making friends. It was literally using the same business pra- uh, principles of making friends and having fun that allowed us to scale. And um, we built that business over the course of a couple of years and changed the name and raised some private equity capital and expanded and really moved upstream and learned a lot on what to do and what not to do. Mm-hmm. You know, made a lot of mistakes. And How did you figure out how to run payroll? Because I think to anybody who isn't in that industry, it's just kind of like, if you were to tell them like, all right, figure out how to like run payroll, how do you run payroll? I'd be like, I don't <laughs> fucking know. Like, I don't even know where to start. Because right now the first thing you do is Google. Yeah, like, Google, well, yeah, like. Google it, but I'd be like, <laughs> and I, I think that what you said earlier is going to law school, it, it was the analytical thinking where there's a wall in front of me, how do I get around it? You know, figuring that out. So like that definitely came into play to help. But like, what was the first step to being like, all right, we're running a payroll company now. <laughs> So uh, my, my partner, Brian, he, him and my talk, and it was like, all right, we're going to have to split responsibilities. And we agreed that I would be more on the sales side and he'd be more on the operations side. So um, he was going to have to figure out how to do it and I was going to help him. But, what was his background? Uh, he was a sales rep at ADP. I got him a okay. job at ADP, actually, <laughs> after I had started there. And you uh, snatched him? Got it. Yeah. Yeah. So you one had of, one of those who's coming with me moments? Yeah. <laughs> 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 one guy. <laughs> It's pretty much exactly what I did. But we talked about it, you know, and it was it was great because I was like, Brian, I'm, I'm quitting. He's like, you can't quit. I was like, I'm quitting and starting my own. Let's do this together. And he was in, and so we did it. And it was really just, there was internet. So um, a company called PayCycle had just gotten purchased, and PayCycle was like this. It was like, a, I think it even came on a CD at the time. 
Um, but it was like a, a software that for like small companies that are like five employees could run their own payroll. And it was like, oh, well, we just do this on our client's behalf. We could, we could do it. So we kind of looked at that. And then through learning about that, you start to learn more as you start to research and dig your, your you know, you, dig, you get into the weeds of it, no pun mm-hmm. intended. Um, <laughs> and, and you start to understand what to do. And so we did the first handful by hand. I mean, it was literally me and him literally running payroll wow. for, by hand for our first handful of clients and trying to understand even what we were doing. And you make mistakes with people's paychecks and they get really <laughs> upset. That's the fastest way for people to hate you. That's not a phone call. That's a knock on the door. That's a, that's a, Johnny didn't get his check and it's Friday and he wants his check. Yeah. And we had to get him a check. So mm-hmm. it was a lot of delivering checks to people's homes because we messed up. And No way. Oh, yeah. Wow. I mean, it's payday. Yeah, and yeah. Who, the payroll company, you can't get in the way of getting someone their paycheck. People need it to live. People need it for fun. People mm-hmm. expect it, and that was. Mm. And it's it's the thankless industry, because no one says thank you when the checks are on time. They're expected, mm-hmm. but when they're not, yeah. you've just gotten the crosshairs. So it was definitely a. Uh, it was a great. It was a cool business. It was fun. I don't think I would ever do it again. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was op- it was just opportunity. It was it was that. It was well. I took the job. I was successful at it. I saw I could make money doing it and I had to leave because they called my bluff and my totally. ego wouldn't let me walk back in the door. <laughs> so I said, screw it, let's do it. And so we did it. And then um, from that, really, it also empowered me to understand that you don't need experience to start companies. And mm-hmm. once you realize that, what do you want to do? Go do it. So it was just from there, I was able to start lots of companies and some were successful and some weren't. And you, and you said you learned a lot of what not to do and what to do with that. And I know coming from first business, you, it's definitely the biggest lesson board, like with everything, because you're so fresh, no matter what the, the industry is or business is, if you can narrow down, cause we could probably talk the whole podcast about everything you learned not to do. Yeah, sure. If there's one, like the top number one thing not to do that you learned from starting that up, what would that be? Well, I'm going to give you, okay, the number one is, and it's actually a business, personal business philosophy of mine now that I've coined now, didn't have coined then, but it's, I learned to be the dumbest guy in the room. Because mm. back then, my ego thought as the founder of the company, I had to make sure that I was intimately involved in every decision and that mm-hmm. everyone knew that I was intimately involved in every decision because that's my job. And it was a mistake because you push talent away mm. and you don't build the culture and the brand and the, and the following and the team that it does take to make companies successful. Um, but so I learned because I, I think ir- ignorantly I was to force, force my way into making sure that I was the smartest guy or tried to be the smartest guy at the table. Um, and so it kept us from growing and, and doing things that I would never want to do to a company again. So now I do the opposite, which is I try to be the dumbest guy at the, at the table and I'm pretty good at that. So, uh, but surrounding myself with rock stars and people who are excellent at what they do and fill my weaknesses and trust that they're going to be great. And it's great because then they get to inject their DNA into what we're doing. Mm-hmm. They get to see their ideas flourish. They get the, the uh, freedom to, to try things with total support. And of course, I'm educated and I'm going to make sure that I know everything I can about every, every facet, but they're the expert, right? So um, it allows you to really take one plus one equals five totally i learned that then totally yeah that's great so what was the uh, 
because you, you you eventually sold iChecks or what was yeah the, so the, uh well we raised private equity capital in uh 2009 um and changed the name to Canada phr and really went from focusing on small clients which were like 50 employees and less to middle market so call it 50 employees to a couple thousand mm-hmm. um and we really wanted to become an hris platform which we, I'm not going to bore you guys with all the details, but basically it was a single database platform online, which was unique at the time and had all your employee information with onboarding through an app all the way through mm. um, and really tried to focus on bigger companies. And we did that for a couple of years, opened an office in Orange County and then sold to a company in Florida. No way. Yeah. Uh, brought you and your partner both both sold out and are out of it or see. Yeah, no, it? no, no. We're long gone. Huh? Long gone. That's interesting. Happy to have it behind you. Yes. <laughs> and how old were you when you sold? Uh, it was 2000 and uh, end of 2010, so nine years ago. So I was 27. Oh wow! So still young. Yeah, 27. That's crazy. And I and I imagine I'm just guessing here. You probably had your next venture lined up. Yes. What was that? Yeah. So um, <laughs> I started a, a company called JFN Recruiting, which was a recruiting agency uh, because a. A buddy of mine was a recruiter for a company and they always needed leads and it was kind of like well if i started this company he couldn't start it but if i started this company i could feed leads to him Mm. and they had a a rev share so i could get a rev share by just having this conduit to collect talent and he had the team that was going to actually find the job placement so all i had to do was create a funnel of getting candidates Mm. and they would funnel through it so i started that on the side um right after and I also wanted to work from a computer because I had spent so many hours driving from San Diego to Orange County that mm-hmm. I missed a lot of my, my younger, oldest young years and so I was like, well, the computer's not going anywhere. It's 2010, 2011, so I uh, wanted to do digital marketing, so I started a digital marketing agency. Mm. That's rad. Yeah. Just you or you have your partners uh, in no, that it was, too? Well, I started it just me. Um, I went to a buddy of mine who has a company called his name is Pat Flynn he, he has a company called smart passive income online and mm-hmm. he basically goes through his online businesses and uh, he teaches people podcasting and like he, he's really he's a rock star now mm-hmm. but back then he was just up and coming as well and he was really powerful so I went to him and said look I'll pay you 10 grand a month to teach me how to make money on the internet and he's like the name of the company is smart passive income not <laughs> not smart I work for you income <laughs> um, so he's like you should meet this guy Neil Patel and I was like, who's that? And he's like, well, if you're going to get into digital marketing, Neil's like one of the biggest rock stars in the space. He has uh, founder of Kissmetrics and Hello Bar and Crazy Egg and uh, one of the biggest blogs on the Internet on teaching digital marketing called Quick Sprout. And um, I was like, yeah, I would love to meet him. So he made us an introduction and I was going to have a call with Neil. And so I wanted to be different. You know, I, I like to stand out a little bit when I do it. So I was like, well, I don't know this guy. How am I going to get him to want to work with me? So I sold a six-figure client first. And then when we met for the first time over the phone, I was like, hey, I sold our first client, and I'm going to pay you the whole six-figure contract. Now you got to just make sure you teach me what I'm doing so I can keep selling us <laughs> more <laughs> digital marketing. And he was like, I don't know He's like, I don't know who you are, but I need to meet you. So we met, and then we became buddies. And um, now he's a really good friend of mine, and we, we worked together for almost five years, four years. That's an interesting way of... So you, you just jumped into this new digital marketing space and just went out and sold a six-figure client? Like, mm-hmm. what is that process? Like, how, <laughs> how, how did you do Like, what is that process? Well, it was, it, was, <laughs> <laughs> it was basically, I said, 
to them that I'm going to make sure that we bring the dream team together. And so I, I said, look, I'm going to come back with Neil and we're going to take care of all your digital marketing needs and we're going to do it on success based and we'll put very minimal up front, but we'll back it all the way through. And so it, it was a minimum of just over six figures, but it had the potential to be a seven or even eight figure contract if we were successful in what we were doing. And um, they, you know, I have a, Sales knack. The sales knack. Yeah, yes, right? <laughs> you know, I made friends with them and yeah. it's giving it forward. You know, I was like, look, first, before I did that, you know, I shrunk everything to one sentence, but um, I had spent a better part of five weeks going through a lot of their data and basically I would take their, their stuff, I would go home, I would look online and I would read about the exact way to increase Amazon sales and then I would take what they did and I would do this back and forth and I would say, okay, I think I can make this little tweak and I'd make the little tweak and something would happen because I followed the advice that was free online on Neil's blog. And, um, <laughs> and I did that for like a, a bunch of little micro elements of their business and they saw gains because it was back in 2010, that was when no company had a social media person. You mm -hmm. know, no company had a digital marketing department. It was really like, we're kind of now coming to the internet and we weren't before, and this company was doing 50, 60 million a year, but under a million dollars online at the time. So truthfully, mm -hmm. I got lucky that the opportunity uh, that they didn't have much more going on yet. So little tweaks all of a sudden was instrumental because it was massive. Yeah. And so I made them a bunch of, uh, I made them money from what I was doing up front. And I was like, I'm just scratching, and this was free. I was like, I'm just scratching the surface. Totally. If you give us this contract, look, imagine what we're really going to do for you. And you know, I swung for the fence. I'm like, oh, we're going to take you from under a million to five million in the first year. And they're like, all right, you know, you did this already. And, you know, I definitely made a big commitment that I thought we could do from the little ignorant information I had. You know, I knew nothing about digital marketing. So I was literally reading a blog post and it was like, if you want to increase traffic to Amazon, do these three things. And I'm like, do those three things. Yeah. And I'm doing it for free. So they don't care and they don't have a department and they would work because he obviously knew what he was doing and it was not really competitive yet. And so from that, I learned a little bit of a talk track and then I closed the deal for the real contract and I got Neil to come out and meet them and then we secured it up and it went from there. So there's a weird pattern I'm, I'm seeing and I don't know if you ever put these like the pieces of the puzzle, puzzle together. You had, you went to college for regional development, which is like real estate and that, I don't know if you know where, where I'm going with this. <laughs> law school, so you have a law background. Um, you got into payroll. Um, recruiting, now digital marketing, which all of those are all pieces of running a business. Yes. Yes. Okay. Cause I'm noticing that, that trend. So you've <laughs> like, you've excelled or like in some way, shape or form mastered. Cause I mean, you built a business, you sold it off, built it, sold it off, graduated law school and you have all the like Intel. It's gotta be the hard. It's hard for you to find a room that you're the dumbest guy in the room, <laughs> because, especially at your age, because like the, the, this roadmap that you've built is is really, really unique. Um, and I think uh, a term that you've used, and I definitely want to hear your definition on, because I found it really interesting, that, that plays into the, the roadmap, is you, you call yourself a serial entrepreneur versus just an entrepreneur. Sure. So like telling me what the difference, because it's definitely, I feel like explains the, the history. Yeah, I mean, I think, especially today, like the entrepreneurial term is really, a, it's buzzy, people love it, it's, it's, it's embraced. You know, when I started, I remember my dad saying, you're going to start your own company. What are you crazy? You know, you're going to you're going to be broke. You're going to like it, it just was it was almost like more degenerate style back then. Mm -hmm. And 
Um, it's kind of like saying you're a doctor, but what kind of doctor? Because a CPA who has his own CPA practice and has been a CPA their whole career, if it's their practice, they are an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. right? But they have their gift, their skill, and they've applied it. You know, then you have um, entrepreneurs who, who start a company that maybe isn't a degree based, but it's a digital marketing agency and they start a digital marketing agency or a plumber starts his own plumbing practice. So they're entrepreneurs. And then there's the people that don't necessarily have one skill or one craft to, to do. Like I start companies for a different reason. I don't start companies because I have all the skill behind it. I think there's an opportunity. And so I'm chasing an opportunity versus applying some preset skill. And so it's just a different kind. So as a serial entrepreneur, it's kind of like I travel in my day looking for opportunities to make money, to, to start businesses that can be sustainable and, and build companies around it. And, and so from there, even better taking the time to apply and, and look back at what I've done and where I've been good and where I haven't, understanding that there's even a, another, a deeper level of vertical integration of multiple startups, which is what I'm trying to apply now and solve business problems with new companies and continuously start and disrupt industries to support my own company and feed my own growth through, through that channel. And um, so as a serial entrepreneur, it just means that, you know, what I do is I, I do startup companies. I start companies, that's what I do. It's like, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a CPA, I'm a serial entrepreneur. Totally. So what, whether I'm selling coffee or Nasaibel or payroll services or digital marketing services or widgets, it, that doesn't matter to me. The, mm -hmm. the, the idea of taking an idea and, and building a plan to turn it into a business and putting the framework together and the foundation and the recruitment and all those pieces is what I love to do. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it took me a while to realize, because I think a lot of people are like, well, nothing inspires me enough to want to do it forever. I was that guy. I was just like mm -hmm. 40 years of doing the same thing. I would literally want to kill myself. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, I couldn't do it. I was just like drowning. The thought of it was like scary. Mm -hmm. And so under, fortunately I was able to get thrust into entrepreneurship in the way I was. And and experience the different industries and how it could be successful. And then I was like, wow, I can, I don't have to, what everyone originally told me was my biggest weakness that I have this business ADD or career ADD and I can't, you know, pick one path and, and do that. And I turned it into a strength because I found a, a, a career path that allowed me to, to thrive with it. Totally. Is there a part of you that, cause I, I feel like I have a little bit, bit of this quality that when you build something up and you eventually become like, the big player, the big guy on the block, going back to starting another, being a serial entrepreneur and then starting a new business, you're brought right back down to the little guy and you're knocking on doors again and trying to earn business. Is there a part of you that kind of like, you like the challenge or you, mm -hmm. you enjoy that? I love that more than when there's no more, like when it's boardroom style mm -hmm. and you're past the point of like disruptive change and not knowing what we're doing tomorrow and figuring it out. And it's like, okay, now it's just scale. Now it's just repeat, repeat, repeat. You built everything and it's all, I'm no longer the best candidate. And, mm. and I have no ego with it. Like I, I also understand my weakness is I'm not meant to be the CEO of Google. Uh, I'm never gonna be on a company that big because their job is different than my strengths. They, are, they have a completely different job at that point. And um, companies outgrow me. And mm -hmm. my goal is to have that happen faster rather than uh, longer because I've, I love starting companies. Yeah, I love yeah. sitting in a room like this, you know, and saying, okay, we're going to create a water bottle company. All right. Mm -hmm. What, what is everyone doing? How do we disrupt it? Come in with fresh eyes, disrupt, and you know, really get to, to fail fast and do some fun things <laughs> and see, see the results of it, you know, and it's just, there, it's, there had to be somewhere along that your journey, because you said when you were at, uh, 
ADP, you built up this really big ego, which is definitely, I, I feel like normal young in business, whether you own the business or work for a business, you building an ego, especially when you're getting like the successes of commissions and all that. What was the point that you, I don't know if you, it was an overnight, like shedding, just stripping your ego, or if it was like a gradual, was there one of the business from jumping business to business? Was there a point that you just had to like drop the ego or what that you, that you, that you can remember that was like, man, I have to let this go. Well, so our apparel company, it's, it was sold. Um, but it wasn't sold because I wanted to sell it or my partner wanted to sell it. Uh, so we got, you know, I, we, we jokingly, me and him say we got our MBA through the school of hard knocks through private equity, but we got in bed with what I would say was, uh, on paper, a good private equity group. But, uh, I think they had a little bit more nefarious intentions than we were aware of. And they took advantage of the fact that we were young and willing to work a hundred hours a week and do whatever it takes. And, um, the ego, I learned by my ego standing in the way of me seeing a lot of things that, you know, they continuously was able to, to grab more of our company over time. And, uh, we, we built it into a successful company, but it was ultimately, they were in control the day we sold and they made the decision. And, mm. um, at that moment it was like, okay, like, I mean, I'm very happy with the experience. Wouldn't go back and change any of it. Mm -hmm. um, but at the time, it was like, I like to self-reflect. I think you learn a lot more through bad times and losses and mm -hmm. crappy things than you do through wins. Because when you do something successfully, you kind of are just excited. But when you're dwelling on it, it's that time to look and say, well, why didn't it work? Or what would I have done different? And um, taking that time to self-reflect made me realize that, hey, you know what? If I didn't have such a big ego and mm -hmm. it didn't stand in the way of a lot of things we might not be where we are today totally. um, you know and i feel like that was like that's like a double-edged sword for you especially because on one hand you probably got you got bought so you got the money you were looking for and, and and a lot of serial entrepreneurs that's that's the end game like what's the exit strategy but then the the other edge of the sword is but you didn't do it on your terms which you've said mm -hmm. you're not a fan of that <laughs> so it had to be a really hard like not a tough pill to swallow but it's still like more than anything, a lesson learned moving forward on decision making and the next business and, and who you involve in partnerships and all that. Yeah, it, it, it definitely was that catalyst that was just like, you know what? It wasn't it wasn't the way we wanted it to end. Um, most endings, unfortunately, aren't right. Things end when they end. And but it was it was understanding like because then there was that moment of, well, now what the hell am I going to do? Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't like, oh, like now I feel much more comfortable where if tomorrow I wasn't doing Everbowl or anything related to Everbowl that I would jump into something pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel confident that I can see that through, but it, I didn't have that then. And it was like, well, okay, I'm back to where I started three years ago. Mm -hmm. Like, what the hell am I gonna do with myself? Totally. You know, and so it was just that was like, well, I don't want my ego to cause things to end prematurely or, or what. And so, I mean, I try to get better, you know? I mean, I mm -hmm. think in, anyone who's not trying to improve themselves in all facets of, you know, then, I mean, uh, someone on our team has a quote, you know, the room for improvements, the biggest room in the world, you know, and we all mm -hmm. have it and embracing that and saying, Hey, you know what, treat yourself like a startup too, that if you're not getting better, I mean, so that totally. was what I learned. I learned my ego is definitely a big, big problem. And I still obviously have an ego. I think everyone mm -hmm. does. And, um, I try to combat it as much as I can and give credit to, I mean, today, like the company Everbowl and everything we're doing, yeah, I'm, I'm the founder and I came up with the idea and started it, but we're not where we are without an incredible team. And mm -hmm. embracing that and running full speed towards that is the lesson that I'm really trying to hone in on. Totally. 
I think that's a solid segue into Everbowl because you're sitting with three super fans. <laughs> I know Alan already squeezed some uh, coffee out of you. Me and Serge are pushing for some acai. Um, <laughs> that's what I said to him. Um, so you have three fans here um, and regulars. Um, so what was the, I guess, transitioning in or, or, or disrupting industry or opportunity that you saw when, when the first when this first popped up for you? Like, what was that? Because I, I love it when you say an idea turned into what it is now. Like, take us back when it was, this was just like whoever you were sitting with or maybe nobody at all that was like, this is the idea. This is what we're going to do. Sure. Um, I actually used to import superfoods into the house um, and just made them for myself because I'm afraid of disease. I'm a bit of like a hypochondriac. So <laughs> I think it's easier to prevent illness than cure it. I think if you take a look at and do a little research into why Americans specifically are getting sick and dealing with the conditions we're dealing with, it's, it's, what, it's our behaviors. It's we're not moving our bodies and we're not eating stuff that's good for us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I jokingly use the analogy now, which is if I took a spoonful of sugar and went to your car and tried to put it in your gas tank, you'd all beat me up. You wouldn't let me do it. But we'll consume any of that junk in our, in our you know, yellow six and red seven and mm-hmm. these things that don't belong in our body. <laughs> and we don't realize that that's causing the issues, right? So it was, well, okay, why? I mean, if you break it down, peel it back, everything, you always need a why. And that's mm-hmm. the other crux to, I think, companies. Companies that just do things without a why, they don't have a, a roadmap. You know, it's really easy to know what to do when you understand where you're going and, so, and what you need to do to get there. So for us, the why was, well, why are we not eating healthy? Why do we eat shit food every day? And came up with four main excuses we make and through talking to people and just my own due diligence. And it either costs too much to eat healthy, mm-hmm. it doesn't taste good, it doesn't fill you up and leave you satisfied, or you can't get it. But if I give you something that tastes good, it's filling, it's delicious, and leaves you, um, and it's accessible, then you're going to choose that every single time. You're not going to be like, well, I want this fried butter over this salad totally. if they both taste good and they both leave you full and, and happy um and so i almost started everbowl a year earlier um than i did but i didn't get the location i wanted but i used to import the superfood and i started tricking my kids to eat healthy er um and i realized if i can trick kids i can trick adults and so i like <laughs> my, my oldest used to fight me and my wife with her to eat her vegetables and it was zucchini and she wouldn't eat it but she wanted cool whip for dessert and it was like eat the Cool Whip or eat the vegetable, you get the Cool Whip. And finally we had enough. And I just said, I put the Cool Whip on the vegetable and gave it to her and she ate it. (laughs) And I was like, her body's going to do the same thing with both, right? So I was like, well, that works. So I used to put Cool Whip on her vegetables at night and she would eat it. And I was like, she gets dessert at the time she's eating her vegetable. And so I was like, well, then the light bell went off for me, which was if I can trick a kid, I can trick an adult because we have the same palate. You know, mm-hmm. and Everbowl was meant to basically take good food that's good for you and find fun ways to make it that tastes delicious. So, like, we have a dream smoothie, which tastes like a Reese's peanut butter cup, but it's got a full full servings of spinach in it, blueberries, cacao, dark chocolate. What's uh, that banana. one called? It's called the dream. Yeah, try it. Good to know. <laughs> and, you know, but it, and that's how I got my youngest to eat salad because she would never eat salad. So it tastes like a Reese's peanut butter cup. So I was like, well, hey, food, you know, Food, uh, fruit and vegetables, they're sweet. They, they do taste good. And so if I allow you to create your own bowl and create your own experience and we find the fun ways to put it together, you're going to like it. And then if we give you a big-ass bowl, you're going to leave full and we give a price point that's cheaper than our competition. So it's affordable. And then 
I need to open a shitload of stores to make them accessible. So we're, we're building as many as we can, as fast as we can. So when you work wherever you happen to work or live, and you only have 30 minutes to an hour, there should be an everable option. Totally. Where'd, yeah. where'd the name come from? Uh, actually, so our, our uh, Eric Brossel, who does all of our branding, he came up with it. Um, it's mm. from our tagline. So our tagline is uh, made from stuff that's been around forever. Everable. Um, he came up with it, and it's, it's, in my opinion, the best name. Uh, I dig it, yeah. Like for a bull and, concept. And, and the Unevolve, that's part of it. Yeah, so Unevolve is our why. That's the overarching, that's on my shirt, it's the overarching why to what we're doing. It's the lifestyle. It's, it's basically, basically a word we created and trademarked um, and defined, and it's to move and eat the way we were meant to and to live actively and eat stuff that's been around forever. And if you live an unevolved lifestyle of movement and eating stuff that's been around forever, you're gonna be healthy and be your best self. And mm-hmm. so whether you eat Everbowl or not, living an unevolved lifestyle is what we're promoting and it's kind of been our overarching theme and in, in to what we're trying to accomplish and drive people to do. So it's like, take the stairs instead of the elevator, park 20 spots away from the front door, totally. stand while you're working, eat stuff that your body knows what to do with, whether it's Everbowl or something else, um, but eat quality food and move actively and live your live actively and um, you'll be healthy. And so Everbowl as a brand is meant to promote the eating component of Unevolve. And then we align ourselves with charities and groups that are all about movement and school sports teams and anything that gets people actively living their bodies, you know, and moving their bodies. And so it's kind of how we do it. And we're now trying to increase our brand ambassador list with professional athletes who can get behind the Unevolved lifestyle, you know, and it's, it's a modern version of you know, live strong, mm-hmm. um, or play 60, mm-hmm. you know, those kinds of things, which is meant to promote health and well-being, And, you know, it's just our spin on it, but we think unevolve is, is a cool way to do it. No, we like it. We were up in, uh, in Oceanside at our company retreat a month or so ago. And me and Sergio went into the, it's, I think it's a newer location, the one mm-hmm. right up there. And we saw unevolve and, um, and when we were both wondering what uh, the meaning behind, we had, a, had guesses, but I'm like, well, we're for, we're for sure going to bring that up when, <laughs> we, when he comes in for the podcast. I think that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the thing that is uh, that I love that you've been talking about this whole time and is actually really inspiring is y- you seem to have a process for everything. Like you break things down into like bite-sized pieces and then you kind of build from there and eventually reach your goal. Whereas a lot of people will see, you know, this wall that we've been talking about and be like, shit, I don't know how to get around this. But you figure out, like you break it down piece by piece by piece and eventually reach it. Is that something you learned in law school or is that just kind of a skill you built along? Like, um, I mean, I think law school honed it. I think it's a skill that I've been sub- subconsciously building. Um, it's reverse engineering it. And it's like really what, like, there's two questions I always ask mentally, like when there's a challenge and a problem. And the first one always is, are we solving the right problem? I think there's, so mm-hmm. we have a problem, right? Like, uh, I don't know what it happens to be, but pick your problem. A lot of times everyone's trying to solve that problem, but the question isn't, what's the answer to that problem first is that the right problem to solve totally yeah what if we solve this problem that might disappear and we might get to where we want to go so the first when there's a wall it's first is do i need to even go through this wall like or is this wall fine and let's just go a different direction um but once you decide that you want to go through the wall it's okay well who has gone through the wall and reverse engineer what they did so it's not that complicated like i knew how to sell in real life i didn't know how to sell online but the process is the same right? You build a sales funnel, mm-hmm. you put them through a sales process, you show value in what you're doing, you create the, the engagement with them, you, you have a call to action, you make it sure that you're delivering a product that's world class and affordable and enough people go through the funnel and you'll sell something. 
Well, the same thing applies online when you start building sales funnels online, right? Is you need to drive traffic to a website and get them totally. to. So it, it's just like, yeah, if I didn't know digital marketing, so someone's like, hey, I don't know anything about digital marketing. So what? It's not someone, no one knew what they were doing until they did it, mm -hmm. right? And experience is only gotten one way. I mean, mm -hmm. like my little, my, my little kids, when they were learning to swim, they just throw them in the water. It's crazy. <laughs> You're like, what are you doing? <laughs> but they swim. But kids will swim. Like a little baby will swim. They will doggy paddle and keep themselves afloat. Mm -hmm. It's just when they get older, if they don't get thrown in the water young, then they, they, they lose that ability. But mm -hmm. a little toddler, they just swim. It's incredible to see. Mm -hmm. It's scary as a parent. But he's, that he's is the same. He's going through swim lessons right now. Oh, yeah, my son, yeah. yeah. How old is he? Well, he's five, but I, I know exactly what you're talking about because I see other kids there. They are, they're all in the same pool, and you see little one-year-olds just jumping, just running and yeah. jumping off the ledge. I'm like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I'm ready to go jump in after them, and they're fine. They just pop up and they do it again because they, 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 they know what to. They, it's just it's they know what to do, mm -hmm. you know. And it's like when you start to realize, like, what's the worst that happens when you jump in? Like, I get a lot of requests these days for like advice on entrepreneurship and should I start my or you know I'm, I'm really waiting to start my own company until and it's like if you have the desire to do it what's the worst that happens mm -hmm. it doesn't work so then is the like for me it was like well ADP is not going anywhere paychecks is there mm -hmm. my backup plan if I needed one was I know how to sell payroll I worked for this the coca-cola in the industry there's a pepsi in the industry and I'm sure they wouldn't mind hiring me if I have all the relationships so let me just go try this. And if it doesn't work, I can always go get another job. I mean, that's mm -hmm. the beauty is there's so many companies out there looking for good people that you can always go get another job. And if you don't have your dream job, because that's why you want to start your own thing, go do it. Right? There's, no, there's no better time than that. I, I have this, this theory yeah, going off that is as you get older, the further you get away from having that like kid mentality. Um, I don't want to say the worse off you are, but the less risks you take and living outside the box and using like the swimming as an example, the one-year-old goes in because they don't know any better. They never heard the horror stories of the water. They don't know anything about the water. They've never been told what to look out, out for, what not to look out for. They just go right in. Whereas if you're an adult, you've never been in the water and now you've heard about drownings. You heard about this, you heard what to do, what not to do, what type of breaststroke and that, that you're like, Oh fuck, before you even get in the water, you're scared shitless where kids just go right in. And in business, and as you get older too, the, the more you wait and the more you lose that like kid mentality, like when you said, when you came home, you're like uh, telling your fiance, hey, I'm gonna drop all this money I'm making and go do that. It's kind of like the kid party, a little bit of fearless um, and, and embracing that. But had you done the, no, I need money, I need this, I need stability, and looked out for all the stuff I'm sure like your parents told you and things you were warned about, you wouldn't have never made that, that leap. Um, and so I try like, and, it, and it's tough because you just start getting more responsibility. You have a family, you have kids, you have business now with hundreds of employees that you have to like almost fight that. I still need to have that kid, a little bit of fearless, a little bit of ego mentality while also looking out for all these people that are now relying on you. Yeah. I mean, com comfort is the enemy mm -hmm. of progress, right? Like I think we get comfortable mm -hmm. and it's, it's hard. Like when I started Everbowl, I used to wake up and open and close the store every single day for the first five months we were there, four months we were there. Like literally seven days a week, I never left the store 15 hours a day. And I went from making a lot of money selling digital marketing services from my couch to now selling acai bowls and pitaya bowls on my feet, serving customers, working alongside teenagers, trying to build this business. And it was literally working three hours a day to now working 15, 16, 17 hours a day and no days off. And it was 
it's hard like to, yeah. to rev that up. Like as you get older, you get comfortable. And it's like, well, I don't need to do this, mm-hmm. right? But I wanted to, and that's the thing. Like I think the challenge is, if if you don't want the end result so much, then the the how you get there is irrelevant, right? Because mm-hmm. like there's so many analogies that you could say. But if if I had let, told someone, let me flick you in the head a million times, and I'll give you a million dollars. Most people are like, all right, flick my head. <laughs> but if I don't give you the million dollars to start flicking your head, you're like, stop flicking my head. And it's that the end is what the million dollars makes me flicking their head irrelevant. Just get the million over. Yeah. So for me, it's like I know where I want to go so definitively that the process doesn't matter. Like, I don't care what I have to do to get there as long as I know that it's getting me there. I have to go through it. You have to. There, there's no there's no elevator. Yeah, and, <laughs> you know? and I, I'm sure it's also too like you said the relationship capital, pe- keeping the right people in your corner, because for your a lot of your decision making that it sounds like for every one person that's like, yeah, thumbs up, do that, Jeff. There's probably ten people who are like, you're fucking crazy, don't do that. So like being able to mute out the people or like you know taking bits and pieces of what they're suggesting while also knowing. I'm not going to open, I'm not leaving behind this digital marketing in three hours on the couch to go work on a, alongside a teenager and spend 15 hours a day. I'm going for this, the bigger, which is where like you're, you, you're, you might be at now, we might think, but there's probably even further that you're even going from where you are now. And it's hard, I think, translating it to, to those people who are telling you, bro, stay on the couch and make the fucking money, you know? <laughs> for sure. But it, it's the why, like, again, I, money is not what I'm after. Money is the score in business, but it's the mm-hmm. freedom, right? Money gives you freedom. It gives you the opportunity to do what you want. doesn't mean you need to be rich to, to do what you want, but if you have enough money to live the lifestyle you want, that's great. I love startups. It's what drives me, right? I love the passion that goes into disrupting markets and coming in and getting to do things differently and, and doing those things. So it is that 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 whole thing that, totally. that drives it, you know? Yeah. And um, I think, as you said, Go, you know, people would say, you know, this shouldn't do that or whatever. You know, I mean, I'll tell you, I came up with the recipes, the final recipes for Everbowl two weeks from the day we opened. Uh, we were, I had some friends come over to my to my house and I made a bunch of like 40 or 50 different flavors in little cups and I made them right on a little card, which ones they like. And I'll tell you, honest to God, the day before they came, my wife was like, your bowls suck. <laughs> <laughs> so you made all the bowls? Like all I the mean, recipes? She, no, no, I, I didn't, not all, she made the uh, she, in our house, yes. Some of them were hers, and she helped me craft them. But there was a time when literally the lease was signed, and we didn't have a name when I signed the lease. I just signed the lease because a, an opportunity came for the spot finally. Um, but I remember the day she's like, "Your bowls suck," and I was like, Love "Why do my bowls yeah. suck?" Love you too, hon. <laughs> you know. But she had the way she because we'd been making them in the house, and we used to make them in a much in a different way because they're you're making it at home. But now I'm building a restaurant, so I need a, I needed scalability. I needed to make sure that it also wasn't, I didn't have to charge $25 to sell you this bowl. I mean, mm-hmm. we used to put ridiculous amounts of superfoods in at home and all these things that I couldn't do where the average consumer sure. was gonna come in and buy it. And I had to do just enough to, to make it to where I can, it was affordable, but also provide the nutritional power and, and make the health benefits. So it was that blend and I just, you know, it's like, everyone's like, ah, you know, is this a good idea? And the name only happened about a month before we opened. I mean, it was- That's crazy. It was just one of those things, it's like, it, and I, it's just in time, right? Like if you keep grinding every day, shit just comes just in time. You That's know, crazy. You figure it out. On the on the topic of uh, of your wife, how long did it take her to get on board with 
you know, the way you go about things, especially with the constant change in, you know, your, your employment situation, you know, like, cause that's gotta be a hard sell. I mean, at home, you know, that, that's that dynamic. That's, it's a partnership. It's a 50, 50 partnership. That's the only way it's ever going to work. But how do you go, you know, sell that to your wife and say, Hey, I'm going to go from making all this money, working three hours a day and assumingly having that time with the family to, I'm just going to, you know, not be at home anymore. And I'm going to go to work and make less money. Like, how do you sell that? Is that, does she just like backs you up, no questions asked, or you really have to like? I mean, she she definitely backs me up, no questions asked. Now, uh, you know, and, and <laughs> now, 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 now. I, have a, uh, I have a proven track record. Uh, so. <laughs> the first one, she was supportive. She was my fiance, and she was just like, you know, we were in puppy love at the time, you know, fiance yeah. style, and it was whatever makes you happy. I want to I want to be with, and of course, you know, and she came from humble humble beginnings, so the money wasn't like. I made a lot of money, air quotes, in ADP, but I mean, I made 200 grand. Like, mm-hmm. it wasn't like I made millions and millions. Of, like, it wasn't like we were, you know, taking private jets and doing things that I was now taking her to my mom's house. But <laughs> we did have our own place, and we did have a child, and we were getting married, and the idea of moving into my mom's house was tough for her. But then she saw that, and she saw that that's what drives me, and I think she supports the fact that she knows that that's who I am. and. When I'm not in that situation, I'm just not me. I'm miserable. You know, it's it's. Is she is she wired like you? No. Oh, okay. We're complete. We're completely different. She's definitely not type A neurotic crazy like me. <laughs> That's good though. You got to have that balance. Yeah. You got you to have that. She's kind an. Of I mean, she's she's the incredible other half. You know, so totally the yin to the yang. Yeah. Um, so so where are you? I mean, modern day today, where where's Everbowl at? So Everbowl, we have uh, 23 open stores. Um, we're building and going to be opening four more in the next six weeks. Uh, All in San Diego County? No. no. Uh, we're taking two to Arizona and two more in San Diego. So August 22nd, we're set to open in Scottsdale, our first Arizona location. Um, and then in the early September, we're going to open on campus at your ASU. So I just want to go for the record. So you didn't want to open a store in Tucson. <laughs> you, went with, you went with Tempe and Scottsdale. <laughs> No, I did want to open one in Tucson too, but uh, I haven't found the right location yet. But no, ASU is great. Um, actually, I, I'll tell you, I've never been a bigger ASU fan than I am now. Hey, um, hey. go Sun Devils! It, it, it takes some people a little bit more time. You sounds know, like, that just sounds like they came correct with the check. Yeah. That's all that's <laughs> oh, that's, right, here's a better question: When are you opening one closer to Gaslamp? Hopefully soon. Where, uh, where we live. I've been to Little Italy. I've been to Little, Italy, Little Italy one. Yeah. Been there, and then yeah. we now have one in Petco Park with the Padres. We're, uh, we're snobs here. So like anything, when he says in the gas lamp, we have to be able to walk to it, even though that, <laughs> that's in the 92101. And we yeah. could technically, it's like a few block Uber. But, but everybody around here, we walk to the office, walk to our clients, walk to gym, everything. So I guess the real question is, when, when can we walk, walk to? <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully soon. Uh, you know, we're, we're really trying to expand and grow. Uh, we just launched our new coffee line so we can continue to build the brand. Um, and it's, it's another way to promote Unevolve and make superfoods more accessible to everybody who may not get to come to our store. Mm-hmm. So if you can't, if you have to get in the car and it's too far, you know, you can order a box of our superfuel coffee. Uh, Amazon will deliver it, and you can get the superfoods in your coffee. Mm-hmm. But right. yeah, so problem then, solved. Problem solved. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you guys are everywhere right now. I mean, I, like I said, I found you at Petco, and then you're in Sprouts, and you're in every Sprouts location. No, just two. Uh, just in the South Bay, Chula Vista okay. and East Lake currently. Yes. Um, so if you 
want to help buy more of that product, they might like us enough to put us <laughs> everywhere. Well, I mean, it's going to be a while now. I'm taking those home. <laughs> it's going to be a while, but yeah, I mean. You're uh, taking one home. I'm taking three. <laughs> three. Uh, no, I mean, yeah, it, it, the product is amazing. Like I said, um, how did you go about, I guess, walk me through the process of the, of the manufacturing like the MCT oil and the acai in the in the K cup itself, that's genius. I mean, you have all those elements in one, and it's so easy. You hit the button and it's ready to go. You know, you don't have to buy the additional supplements, and you don't have to sit there and measure it and put the drops in, mix it. You just cut a lot of work out of that. And don't I say mean, in the kitchen. You didn't do it in your kitchen. Um, you did. I kind of did. I, I, did. did. <laughs> I, I need to come to his kitchen. <laughs> um, it's a tornado in my kitchen when I touch things. But I mean, we're available for R&D anytime. <laughs> yeah. We'll bring the show to you. No, so, so there's, there was a bunch of com- coffee companies that infused other products. Um, there was one that I used to drink all the time that infused mushrooms into the coffee. And, you know, being the superfood company, and we have our own import division where we import our own superfoods uh, under our own brand and, uh, you know, focus on the sourcing high quality ingredients it was like well for us it's just delivering it and so I drink a lot of coffee and I eat a lot of superfoods and it was just like I see a lot of these companies that are doing certain things and I saw in uh, superfood infused cold brews uh, iced coffees and stuff that was coming out and um, there were some infused uh, hot coffees as well but nothing with acai and nothing with the ingredients we were doing and so I was like well why not combine the two? You mm-hmm. know, I love coffee. I love superfoods. It was the same thing as tr- again going simple. Mm-hmm. It's like cool whip on vegetables. It was like, all right, I drink coffee anyway. Let's get some superfoods into people. And it also we are the superfood company. We have the stores that we're building, and we are sourcing them. So we have the authority in the space to say, hey, we are the superfood company. So that's why you should buy ours over a competitor who just is a marketer who puts superfoods in coffee. Um, so the short answer was. It doesn't work in your kitchen for the Keurig. So um, I needed to find a facility that could actually manufacture the, the pods. So we did a bunch of R&D on the recipes until we found the right, the right ones. And then um, actually, you know, it, it, all the stories you see or hear from most people are all the good stuff, you know. But we ran mm-hmm. into a massive challenge with our facility and had to change facilities after our very first run. And we had a big commitment to put coffee in Petco and we didn't have a way to make any more. And so... Uh, scrambled and had to find a whole new facility and and resource new ingredients to make it taste the same and deal with a whole bunch of shit that was uh, and I mean, I mean we're I'm not sure even that's talking put in lightly too. What's that? I'm sure that was all put in lightly yeah, too. Yeah, of course. That was I mean, and we're not even talking about the fact that you still got to go to Keurig and say, hey, we want to. No, don't have to go to Keurig. Oh, so don't. Keurig's patent expired a few years ago, so that's why it says it's Keurig compatible. It's on the box. Right. As soon as that happened, that's when the explosion of K cups happened. When Keurig owned the patent, there wasn't a whole lot. Everyone was waiting for the patent to expire, and then everyone can can create it oh. under mm. and for Keurig-compatible coffee machines. Nice. Um, and we started with this just because it was simple, you know, and I wanted to, to introduce super fuel coffee and make it accessible and affordable to those and, and make it easy. But we're also coming out with ground coffee and um, really trying to make sure that we make healthy superfoods accessible and it's, not have to change your habit. It's the exact same price point as, you know, your... The Dunkin' Donuts packs, everything else, mm. and, which is awesome. Uh, yeah, man. Big fan, like I said. Well, it's thank you. Big, yeah. big fan. Is, is there, I mean, I naturally have to ask. You said in the next six weeks you're opening four stores. Is there anything, like, in the next year, like, any big uh, pieces you can leak or talk about <laughs> or anything that you're chasing? It might be Everbowl. It might be outside of Everbowl. 
um, that's more like in the next year, maybe 2020? Um, so we are strongly considering franchising uh, Everbowl. Uh, so we may, we may do that. We may not. We get a lot of requests. Um, it is something that we have stayed away from on purpose because uh, we really care about the brand and want to make sure that it's delivered in the right way. But um, there seems to be a lot of value in that, in which case that will scale and allow us to open up. Um, we're talking to a few very strategic partners to see if we can't get nice footprints. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully some of those happen. We're looking in the coming into new markets. Um, you know, we, we did, a, we're in Petco park. So we're also looking at stadiums, yeah. you know, and, and talking to some new stadiums that are some pretty marquee marquee ones. And, uh, we actually build our own stores internally. We have our own construction company called we build and, um, it's a fun little fact. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, throw that in there real quick. Sprinkle well, that one on there. <laughs> you asked. I gotta, I gotta push that a little bit. Um, but again, that's the whole vertical integration component, which mm-hmm. was we knew we were going to build so many stores, and how was I going to build enough stores and make it cost effective? So we built our own construction fabrication arm. So we build our own units and can start buying in bulk and grow this business. And what was cool was, um, you know, we we are in Petco and we're starting to get noticed. So we've been getting reached out to by a few other restaurant concepts, a few other non-restaurant concepts that are like, hey, can you give us a bid to build ours? And this whole new opportunity may or may not, we may keep ourselves too busy to do it, um, but we're creating an opportunity for something to, That's really to, cool. to further I'd, it up. I'd love to see you guys in airports. I would too. Ooh, <laughs> man. I'm in airports all the time, and I'm, I, I don't like to talk bad about anybody, but... Starbucks and pizza trash. <laughs> trash coffee. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, not going to. Not just that. I'm also a big, like, fan of, like, if you have Starbucks here and you have, you know, a James coffee or Por Vida, Copa Vida here, I'm going to them. Yeah. Like, and that's for anything, even restaurants, whatever, you know, clothes, everything. I'd rather go to, you know, somebody who's locally owned, family owned, etc. I'd rather go there and give them all my money. Totally. You're, you're and a hundred percent, a hundred percent of the time I'll do that, and not just that because they actually go and they do what you're doing with your company, where their 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 emphasis is on the customer experience, the customer service. You're doing a service to the to not only the customer but also those the people that you're working with. They're gonna take those skills that you're teaching them, and they're gonna take them in every walk of life. I think that's awesome what those small businesses do for for the community as a whole. So. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. You know, we're trying. I mean, at the end of the day, we can we can just be us and we're going to continue to push. And, you know, if you like someone else's coffee better than ours, that's fine. Um, as long as you find a way to get superfoods into your body and be your best self, we're going to support that. And obviously, I'd love for you to come to Everbowl and go to as many Everbowls as you can and mm-hmm. help us spread the love and the word because um, I think we're doing it right. Whether we win the game of building this to what we want or not, um, people are getting healthier as a result of it. And you know, you can sell any dog food you want, but the ones that are do good and actually make people better, I get to feel good about it. And so um, I genuinely am excited. Like, you know, selling payroll, there's nothing emotionally attached to that. I mean, yeah, I'm streamlining your business processes, maybe saving you some money, but I don't go home at night and feel like good about it. Mm -hmm. This is like my passion. So I really get to feel good. Like everyone who comes in our door is better when they leave. No one's like, getting sicker by eating totally, yeah. a healthy bowl or drinking a super, you know, a cup of super fuel or, you know, we're going to come out with some, a few more 
products that are driven around superfoods and making them more accessible to people. Um, and through that, we're hoping to, to continue to grow the storefronts and hoping to get loyal customers that will support us and, and continue to drive the mission. I mean, we are San Diego based, which there's not a lot of restaurant chains that started here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a handful and Rubio's is one of them and Jack in the Box is one of them. And, um, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. Jack in the Box started here. Not exactly the healthiest food. No, but, but, but it's cool, though, because there's, we're San Diego. You know, we're one of the top ten largest cities in, in the country, but we have this. We're, we're just south of L.A., so we kind of get disguised where everything starts in L.A. Little brother, yeah. yeah, and so for me being a San Diegan and diehard Padres fan, you know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's awesome for me to be able to give back like we have to San Diego and now expand out of San Diego and hopefully represent the city as we, as we scale out. So I'm really curious. And, and I know we're kind of winding down on time, but something I always like to ask guys or girls who come on here and, and, and you're, you definitely keep a fast paced lifestyle and you also have an element to your life that I don't with, you have a wife, a kid, you have a, a personal life that, that requires maintenance and, and keeping on top of is we're big into like life hacks and different part, like how to keep our balance and um, work relationships and, and personal relationships. What is your like, it might not be one secret ingredient, but what's your, uh, yeah, like what's your routine or what's what's the secret sauce? And maybe you're still trying to, you're, you're figuring that out to balancing it all. Because I know there's times where I've, I've had it where my professional attention and time is just through the roof. And, and I have to like have to pump the brakes. And I don't like to get to the point where I'm like, holy shit, I've just neglected everything in my, my personal life. And the extent of my, who rely on me is just my dog. So um, once he gets neglected, I know it's really bad. <laughs> but even just taking care of like your personal, your health, your wellness, your all that, like what have you found in your day to day or week to week that, uh, that keeps that because you're growing at an insane rate. And I don't imagine you're the type of guy that is gonna stop growing tomorrow or ne- next month. So what is that, like what's that balance you found? It's a, it's an ebbing and flowing challenge, right? Totally. I mean, I think if I don't have it figured out yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so if anyone does, please share it with me. Uh, you know, <laughs> I think we, we, we learn from same thing, like go where the squeaky wheel gets the grease. You know, you go to the area of your life that needs the most attention at that time. Um, and then what happens, unfortunately, is friends feel neglected, your kids feel neglected, your spouse feels neglected, your business feels neglected, mm-hmm. your personal health and wellness feels neglected. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, I'm a cheesy quotes guy, so I have a lot of quotes that I surround myself with and love to, to utilize. And I have a poster and it's a lion and a gazelle in Africa and it, it's an African proverb. And it's like every morning in Africa, a gazelle wakes up and knows it has to run faster than the fastest lion. Otherwise it's going to get eaten. And every morning in Africa, a lion wakes up and knows it has to run faster than the slowest gazelle. Otherwise it's going to starve to death. So whether you're a lion or gazelle, when the sun comes up, you better be running. And that concept of I get up and it's time to go. I mean, I don't, it doesn't make me the coolest guy to go get a drink with maybe because Mm -hmm. my brain is laser focused on something Mm -hmm. and I'm not, it's very hard for me to like stop Mm -hmm. everything and just be, you know, and it makes relationships somewhat hard in some ways, but, um, you know, I, I do the best I can and I try to balance it all where I make sure that I wake up early, you know, I naturally wake up very early and take care of work when I can. And I use my car. Like I don't listen to music in the car. And, um, I use that to either do a lot of meetings when I'm driving and commuting. So when I get home, I can spend an hour or two with my kids before Mm -hmm. they go to bed. Like I try to do those things. And, um, 
I'm an extremist, so when I when I, I'm all in or I'm all out. So mm-hmm. when I'm with my kids, I try to be with my kids. When I'm with my wife, I try to be with my wife. And when I don't, like probably like you know, it's been too much when you, when you're with your dog and your dog feels neglected. Mm-hmm. Um, when I catch myself sending emails when I'm playing with my kid, is when I realize okay, I got to give my kid more attention. Yeah. Um, or when I haven't checked my inbox in a day and I have 750 emails, I'm like, all right, I need to wake up at 4 a.m. and send a few emails. <laughs> Um, so it's, it's tough, you know, yeah. and I don't have a good answer. And I think, unfortunately, they're suffering happening in mm-hmm. all those buckets. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I blink and I haven't been done anything physical in five days. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, my God, like, what am I doing? It's like, I need to do something. So it's just it's, I'm trying. From yeah. more of a practical standpoint, is it uh, does that include like you know, working out? Do you box? Do you meditate? Do you, you know, those kinds of things? I work out. Um, I want to meditate. I've never been good at it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how to do it. Like I've tried and I'm just like sitting there thinking about business in a matter of two seconds yeah. mm-hmm. or my kids or some issue that I'm dealing with. And I can't seem to clear my mind. Headspace is an app. It's amazing. Headspace. Mm-hmm. So uh, I will. Uh, there's a guy, Robert Devine. He has this unbeatable mind concept. And I listened to that once and talks about getting rid of your monkey mind and trying to settle it. And yeah, just didn't. I have yet to, I've been struggling with that. And I think if I could learn, it'd be so powerful for me. I think it'd be like, if I could wake up and meditate for 20 minutes, 10 minutes, it would be, that's a, that's a life goal. That is, I'm striving is, for. Are there any circumstances? I know you said before we jumped on the podcast that uh, you're about to go to Scotland with your wife. Are there any circumstances or vacations or, or certain days or uh, routines you have that like you have to check, be checked out? Like I'm checked out and I'm all, all in other certain ones like that. Like when you go on vacation, is everything do not disturb? No, no, okay. uh, it should be. And my wife, if, when she watches this, will, will punch me, but, uh, <laughs> it absolutely should be. Uh, but I, I lose that. Unfortunately, there's, there's responsibilities that come, you know, with every decision and with every role and you can't be in charge of a company and fully check out. Right. Unless the company is at a point where it doesn't need me, in which case I'm ready to check out anyway. Um, So I owe it to my company, just like my kids. If my kid calls me on a date with my wife, I'm going to answer the phone. Mm -hmm. Well, my company is like another kid Mm -hmm. because I'm responsible. I have investors and shareholders that I have to answer to. Not in a bad way, but I'm responsible. Totally. My name is on the docket here and, and my goal. And as you said, we have 500 employees and I owe it to them to make sure that I'm not like, oh, opportunity will wait for me tomorrow it just doesn't mm-hmm. happen you know um so i wish you know i do the best i can and i have a great team that now that handles so much that it stays off my doorstep um but there's never a time that i would say i'm a hundred percent checked out hey that's an answer in itself um <laughs> uh, so we, we usually end end all of our podcasts with the the same roundabout question um and to anybody out who's watching or listening um, if they're currently at the in the weeds point of their life where they're in their mom or dad's kitchen, they may or may not have already started a startup. They want to start a startup. Um, what can you say, like one piece of advice to get through a clear to get through the, the in the weeds, the thick part of the weeds? I would say to embrace the weeds because they're always going to be there. And if they're waiting for the perfect scenario, they're going to be waiting their whole life. Um, to make a living in the weeds because that's where life happens. It, it's the grind. It's, we all deal with it. And anyone who 
you may be listening to or reading about or observing or, you know, get advice from that looks like they have it all figured out and oh no, nothing goes wrong on a daily basis and the weeds aren't just as thick in their yard. It, it truly is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, you got to put it behind you. You know, it's not, it doesn't, it's just part of it. It's like, like acne when you're a teenager, you're going to have it. So <laughs> deal with it, right? Yeah, Smile yeah. and just deal with it and accept it. And you'll come out the other side and then you'll have new versions of that later. Um, but truly if you're waiting on life to, to say, Hey, now's the time. It's not going to, um, because there's too many people that are seizing it and just making it happen. And there's nothing stopping anyone, I guess, from, from doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I think in the weeds is, is a place that feels uncomfortable until you just learn to embrace it. And if you look at other areas of life, like I, uh, I'm not a big endurance runner at all, but I trained once for a half marathon and I actually didn't end up running the half marathon, but I was training for it. And I remember that I used to hate running more than a mile. Like after a mile, my legs hurt, my lungs hurt. And everyone who was like, just get through it, just get through it. Eventually that burning sensation, you're actually going to look forward to it, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And then that is because you get addicted to, and then it's like, you feel great. Mm-hmm. And it's true. It happened eventually. Right. And you just keep running through it. And so in the weeds, just, just plow through it. Keep your head down, focus, pick micro goals because micro goals builds, uh, you know, bigger goals and momentum breeds momentum and success breeds more success and, pick something like what's the goal today is the goal today to like for me using a, a real example um i signed the lease for the first ever bowl i didn't have a name i didn't have a menu defined i didn't know what it was going to look like but i signed the lease now now i'm in i jumped out of the airplane or i jumped in the pool as a little kid now i have to swim mm-hmm. right so that was the goal of the day and then the goal the next day was all right now now let's figure out what we're going to do with this space right you know what what's the recipe going to what's the menu going to be what's the name going to be so who am i going to work with so you know like it was never just it was i knew i wanted to build a craft superfood and make it accessible i knew that i knew i wanted to disrupt fast food and quick serve i wanted to provide healthy living the what food went in wasn't decided day one mm-hmm. i mean the fact that they're acai bowls is because i love acai bowls but it's everbowl made from stuff that's been around forever which allows us to change the menu to salad to grain bowls, to poke bowls, to mm-hmm. quinoa bowls, to vegetable bowls, to soup, because it's a bowl of food that's made from stuff that's been around forever. So I left that available to us to alter. Luckily, totally. we honed in on something that was that was gonna gonna meet. So sorry for the long-winded answer, but to anyone stuck in the weeds, I, I would say don't wait, don't don't not do what you're gonna do because you're stuck in the weeds. Just learn to embrace it. Learn to accept that that's just a part of life and when there's no more weeds it's you're retired and sitting on a beach somewhere you know hopefully, hopefully. You, usually the longer answer to that question means you, you you spent some good time in the weeds so that's uh that's yeah. great man where can everybody find you personally and everbowl where can they find you online and social so uh personally it's at fenster jeff uh on instagram and my linkedin i think is jeff fenster um and then everbowl is at everbowl craft superfood um, everbowl.com and superfuelcoffee.com and you can get the coffee on Amazon or through our website and through select stores and hopefully we're opening a store near you and if you live in an area that doesn't have a store please tell me where you want us to open a store <laughs> so we can start to build our following next to the right down the street from this location awesome Park and E would be great Park and E yeah. you're getting location suggestions <laughs> now <laughs> awesome man well thank you Thank you guys. This was a lot of fun. Thank you.